welcome to the Outer Circle Inner Stillness, reflections and conversations exploring recovery work in spiritual disciplines and where they come together. The Outer Circle comes from a recovery exercise called the Three Circles. The Middle Circle contains the bottom line behaviors, those destructive patterns you are working to avoid. The Second Circle contains those behaviors, patterns, places, and relationships that, while not inherently bad, for you are an integral part of the spiral towards the Middle Circle. The outer circle contains the vision of your best and fullest self that you are seeking to live. Turning towards this full self is turning away from your middle circle. The outer circle explores daily practices that promote sobriety, presence, balance, connection, thriving, purpose, healing, and resilience. Inner stillness is a concept from Orthodox Christian spiritual thought that refers to the deepest part of a person's soul, the place where God lives and speaks. In pursuing the outer circle and the inner stillness, I believe we can find all that we need. Welcome to the Outer Circle Inner Stillness, conversations and reflections on the integration of the spiritual life and the sober life and the inner life. And wouldn't you know it, they all have a lot to do with each other. My name is Reese Basimio. My name is Ben. And we're your hosts for the day talking about how people grow and change and heal, which I didn't quite want to introduce it that way because I think that's a Cloud and Townsend book and we're not talking about that. <laughs> but, uh, we did. <laughs> I thought that was boundaries. That one too. That one too. Also the safe people. Uh, they, they, they get around. <laughs> in, our, in our dialogue, we had come into this question, I think, of how to help people grow and change, especially in regards to like a recovery context. Uh, so that's kind of the direction we're going today. But what I'd love to do uh, for for the listeners who uh, do not listen to the Lord of Spirits, uh, <laughs> where we met, <laughs> Ben, could you introduce yourself and say a little bit about uh, what's your connection to the inner life, the recovery life, the orthodox life? Yeah, so uh, my name's Ben, and I'm currently on staff at a homeless shelter in northern Indiana, and I've been here about three years, and we, uh, so you'd, you'd mentioned the Lord of Spirits podcast, so I guess I can start there on how we kind of connected. So I'd called in a question asking about extending catechism beyond the church. So like for those of us who maybe have more direct opportunities to intentionally invest in the hearts and lives of the people where we're at, how can we extend that and apply maybe some of the, I don't know if principles is the word I want to use, but kind of the idea of how are, how are we forming people? And specifically in my context, it's like, how am I forming the homeless? And so I'd really feel like I've kind of honed in on this idea that chaos and brokenness atrophies our capacity for self-responsibility in our web of relationships. And and when our capacity for self-responsibility in our web of relationships atrophies below like a certain level, become homeless. And so I kind of plugged that in my question. And then later on, I actually don't have social media. So I was using my wife's Facebook to just because I, I try to follow like what's happening in that group. And uh, noticed that you'd reached out, and so that's that's kind of how we got connected. But I've I've I was really actually recently baptized, so that was why catechism was uh, that question was I don't know a year, almost a year old that I had sent into the speak pipe. 
so was baptized mm-hmm. Lazarus Saturday. So I don't know how many months ago that is, but recent recent convert to Orthodoxy, but Three, was four months, I think, yeah. Was raised within Christianity, kind of broader Christianity essentially my whole life. So I've have been moving in the direction of of hopefully Christ for at least since college is when I started to really kind of be serious about that and uh, was really impacted, particularly by uh, Richard Foster's celebration of discipline. So like some of the stuff that I read early on kind of, I think, prepared me for orthodoxy, but it wasn't until, I guess, this year that we were finally actually received into the church. So it was, it was a bit of a mystery, but here I am. So in my role at the at the homeless shelter now, I'm a, what we call a vocational coordinator. So I specifically kind of partner with the participants that we have there to kind of provide them with a live pre-employment work environment to gain job skills, but also ideally to provide them with a context to apply the stuff that they're doing in programming so that they have an opportunity to discover those character opportunities or the, the areas of brokenness in their lives that have handicap their ability to maintain when they're not staying at the shelter. So it's, you know, someone's going on smoke breaks early or doing these kinds, some of these things are like unable to take feedback. Like that's a big one. Like if your boss says, Hey, like, I don't like the way that you fold these pants and then you go and pop a bunch of bubble wrap or do. I, I think I'd shared that story one time that had someone who I was had no idea her arm hurt was throwing clothes in a bailer. So she just walked off and started popping bubble wrap, which we used to like ship things. So now she's like destroying company property and just how quickly, like this could really get framed one way, but we try to be a uh, community to wrap around the participants, like address like, Hey, this is how this would get interpreted outside of here. We don't want that future for you. Like how can we kind of help you move in a different, identify this sooner, advocate for yourself, communicate so that it doesn't kind of get to this point here. So yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of what my current, my current role is. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing. And as I'm hearing again, your background and some of what you brought in, what drew me to like your question and prompted, prompted me reaching out is you're talking about the, this question, how do we how do we form people or, or help people in the formation? And there's a question around spiritual formation. There's a question around recovery work. And, you know, hearing you talk about the challenges faced by people coming out of extreme chaos and, and homelessness uh, into something like order, something like a housed life. It's a different way of life. And it's a different skill set, different set of reflexes that one needs to sustain housing, to sustain employment connections and housing than it is to sustain survival on the streets. And so I think one of the things that intrigued me was this idea of, well, how do you invite someone from one way of life into another? That resonated with me because there's a way I do a different version of that work when I do addictions counseling. And I'm inviting, in my case, mostly men, um, but inviting people from the way of life that's marked by acting out, acting in, chaos, unmanageability, compulsion, loss of control, lots of drugs, lots of sex and pornography, and uh, lots of extreme behaviors into a way of life marked by by presence, by by order, by connection, by by balance. And, and that's been a question that's come up a lot in my men's groups is 
how do I know that I'm sober enough? Or, okay, so I quit using, but now what? And is that all that there is? And so it's raised questions for me around, well, what is a sober way of life? And then, well, actually, it was raising questions about like, how do you do, like, how do you tell if you're sober enough already? And then I read, uh, actually, audiobooked Dr. Constantino's book, Thinking, Thinking Orthodox. And she introduced me to this concept of phronema. Um, and that's going to be my, my one, my token Greek word for the day. But uh, and if you understand the word a little better than I do, feel free to throw it in. No, I, the book's next on my list because you recommend you recommended the book, so it's next on my list. But I haven't haven't got to it yet. So you're you're the Greek scholar today. Awesome. That's kind of scary. <laughs> anyway, but when she's talking about phronema, she's talking she specifically compares and contrasts uh, Orthodox, Christian, Catholic, and Protestant phronema as way of life as this whole whole person set of like beliefs and assumptions and practices and mindsets, uh, words and speech that make up how a person lives. And so so that's been a question on my mind is like, well, not just like how do Orthodox people live, but how do sober people live? And and in my head I made a connection between you and me, Ben, and saying, so you're helping people on the streets learn how do housed people live and what what all goes into that and everything. Yeah. How do, I mean, honestly, sober is almost 70% of the question though, really with a lot of the the men and women that we serve. But what's, what's tricky is that it generally gets framed as like success, which is, it took me a really long time to understand why I kind of, you know, I'd see people come through they'd be called out or like, these are the success stories or the whatever. And then, you know, we do a big piece on them and we're celebrating them or what. And then three months later, four months later, they're back. And it's like, was that a success? You know? So like it had, there's, it was, it was tricky because it, it seemed to be that like success or sober enough was being kind of framed as like it, like that's, that's what it took. And, and that, that really kind of, it was really kind of confusing for a long time because if someone's just pursuing sober, right, then it's just like, okay, then what more is there beyond self-care? Like what, like, what is it? Like you were saying, like, what is sober enough? Like, can I drink once a week? Can I, you know, snort something twice a week? Like, can I be, is functioning addict successful enough? Like, is it just that I have a house that I'm successful in? Like, so, so reframing even the, the question, because, because what, what's really tough working in the context that I'm at, we, we used to do like chapel services every night and just about every night people were coming in and saying like, you're homeless or you have these problems because you're not a Christian. And it's like, I know these people and like, they know the Bible better than you. Like, <laughs> like I had, I had one, I had purple hair one time. And, uh, somebody, one of the guys there just out of nowhere, he's like, you know, I saw your purple hair and it took me a while, but like the Bible talks about purple hair and turns out like song of songs, like four or three or something random like that just talks about like the purple hair. And I was like, <laughs> like, I had no idea that purple hair is in scripture. And so the, it was, it was, yeah, it's just, it wasn't necessarily that it's, they weren't homeless because they weren't Christians. It was, 
it was because of the chaos and the brokenness. And so it was like, all right, how can I help somebody who's like living with chaos and brokenness rediscover their capacity to be self-responsible, their web of relationships? And so for me, what, what kind of made the most sense from scripture was talking, you know, when Paul talks about there's that Christ is the chief cornerstone and, and, and that he's, you know, in Christ says that he is life. Like how, how can we orient someone towards life which is Christ like that, like if I'm empowering someone to move in the direction of life, like sobriety is like happens. Like if you're moving in, in a healthy, like in the direction of life, like you're not going to do things that compromise your capacity for life, which includes like your sobriety. Like if you're perpetually not sober, like you can't exactly live, live life. And so like, you know, he talks also about like faithfulness, hope and love remain. And so like, how, how am I empowering someone to like, have rediscover hope and when they have like hope that life is possible all right so like expressions of faithfulness to hope are like one it's self-responsibility like that's what you're doing if you if you're continuing to be faithful towards this idea of life um but then also like that's generally like the doing of the things is love and so that that seemed to kind of fit as a grid because now like somebody who's kind of comes back like they can kind of it doesn't have to be like this linear thing. Like they can come back and, it, and then it's like, all right, they've, they've launched, they come back. It's like, okay, we've got this. Now we can kind of address this and then like kind of maintain these like healthier life cycles for longer, like seem to be a more helpful lens for empowering the the men and women that we're serving than like kind of, cause you know, like, honestly, like we had a guy a couple months ago who, uh, died by suicide because he couldn't be successful like at sobriety like he killed him like he just he killed himself and it was it was really crushing but like I, i'm obviously i'm not gonna bl- i'm not trying to blame anybody about it but like i think i'm pretty convinced that part of like because in the conversations i have with him he's just like i just can't get sober like it's i can't like be successfully sober and so it was like that hurt <laughs> that one hurt yeah that hurt that hurts a lot and i think we can rightly point to some problematic mindsets that are in there. Um, like you raised like the problem of success and we could say, yeah, the problem with success is that that is usually limited to abstinence or maybe to just behavior change in general. And so I'm imagining you know, this fellow, you know, Lord have mercy on his soul. The only rubric for success he's given is, you know, sustained abstinence from everything and forever. That's really hard. That's really hard to do. It's hard to do all at once. Most people take a lot of times to to really succeed in 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 abstaining, but but the thing with abstinence, so abstinence, it's a it's a subtractive goal and it's incomplete on its own. So you're talking about it's not enough, it's not sober enough to just stop and just and then you get uh, like you were referencing these folks who are like, well, can I drink once in a while? Can I smoke once in a while? You know, the other dynamic is like, well, let's say I want to quit things altogether. So I've quit alcohol. Now I'll quit drugs. Uh, now I'll quit porn. Uh, what else can I quit? I'll quit like the internet. I'll quit TV. I'll quit Star Trek. I'll quit. I'll become vegan. You know, things like that. Uh, and at, at some point, there's no more things left to quit. And all of your energy is going into maintaining the quitness. And that's not the same as character growth. It's not the same as introspection. It's not the same as healing. And it's not the same necessarily as pursuing anything. And that's... That's the thing that needs to be present to complete this all is you need to be pursuing something. And that's the uniquely wonderful, rich offering of of faith and the Orthodox faith is we are given this 
this thing to pursue, to pursue conformity to the image of Christ and to pursue union, union with him and to pursue the life of the church. We, we have something really beautiful we can step into that we're adding into our life. And that, that can make it really complete. A lot of people are missing that, and that makes it really hard. But, but yeah, the, the measure of success needs to be a little bit more sophisticated than just don't do drugs. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that, that's, I, I, I found opportunities to have that, that specific conversation. Like there's a guy that we just launched recently who, when he was coming out, I, he's like, I just want to be happy. And I was like, okay, like, let's think about this. Like, is that really going to be kind of a sustainable long-term goal is, is, is like happiness. Like, and I literally, I was like, so tell me, how do you happy? Like, can you happy for me right now? Like, what does that, what does that even mean? And he didn't have an answer. And I, it's kind of an unfair question, I guess, but that happiness is like, again, like I'm talking about some, because happiness doesn't exist. (laughs) Yeah. That it's a byproduct of something else. Like happiness is a byproduct of like kind of moving in a certain direction and like that experiencing it, like coming true or manifesting. And so I kind of had that opportunity to, to talk to him about that. And then also about like, you know, in his sobriety, like, it's like, listen, like it's the same with sobriety. Like if you're not moving towards something higher than sobriety, like it's, it's not going to be sustainable if, if sobriety is like the only goal, like you said, it's, that's, it's kind of like the quitness, not what you like this, the, the negative route, not with, I'm not like in a pejorative sense, like there's the taking things away kind of thing, which, which is necessary in order to find, to rediscover a capacity for self-responsibility and, and even your, yourself, right? Like one of the interesting things about sobriety is like, Oh yeah, that's who I am. It's, is, um, that's been one of the fun things in my context is people coming and learning how to work sober for possibly even the first time in their life. It's like, wow, like I actually like enjoy working or doing these things. And and then having an opportunity to discover what is it about life that they want to move towards? Cause generally, you know, if they've hit rock bottom, it's like, Oh, I don't want to die, but ha- basically kind of scraping by for so long. It, there's like an, almost an inability to answer the question, what's the best that could happen. And like, then move in that direction, like, which is what we're trying to kind of help someone do. Yeah. Yeah. It's watching the stage progression in the sobriety world from like, my motivation is I don't want to die to, you know, now my motivation's like, Hey, I'd like to like kind of enjoy life. I'd like to happy. And you to maybe beyond that, the sense of like, I want to like contribute to the world and I want to like be present with the people around me. And, uh, and I'm thinking like, like the correlate in, in the church, uh, you know, there can be that more primal motivation of like, I just don't want to go to hell, and, which, I mean, insert theolo- theological points about <laughs> the problems with that statement. But, uh, you know, there there's that initial fear of consequences, and then there's this more sense of like, yeah, I want to go to heaven. I want to reap the spiritual blessings in heaven and everything. And then the more, the more robust motivation of like, I love the Lord Jesus, and I don't want to grieve him, and I know be afraid to do that. Um, which, and, and that's actually, Abba Dorotheos will talk about that when he's talking about levels of love or level, or he's talking about fear of love, but he, but he, but he's, he's the one that I learned this, this pro- pro- progression from is that there's, you, you seek righteousness, you 
Oh my goodness, I'm butchering Abadorthios. <laughs> Lord, forgive me. Uh, but there, like, there's this initial motivation of like, I, I just want to avoid consequences. Uh, and then there's this more sophisticated motivation that's I want to gain blessings. And then there's like the most sophisticated motivation. It's most that's really driven by love. Uh, like, I love, I love this person. I love the Lord so deeply that my my fear is to grieve this person. Uh, through my actions. Um, and it's not a fear of punishment. It's, it's a fear of damaging the relationship. And, and in order for that to happen, there has to be a relationship in place. So, so I guess you could say a good growth arc in any context would be into more relationship into, I, I love like the way you talk about like the, the web of relationships, because, you know, one relationship gets kind of old after a while, but, but having, having, having a bunch <laughs> keeps things lively. Yeah, that and that really it's fascinating how important that is or at least for me I was I was homeschooled and so like there's a bit of kind of this insular thing it's like it's just us so like how important it, it really is like to so, so like we we get people connected with mental health services with uh our housing local housing authority with the, like the hospital staffs, nurses, and our shelter so that like to, to really kind of attend to like, we're next door to a dental clinic and really trying to holistically attend to kind of all of those needs has like takes the, a community that like, like one of the first things that, we kind of even see with somebody at least on the streets, right? If they're holding a sign, they're by themselves and like, it's like, Oh, we'll go, go get a job or something like that. It's like, well, I can't get a job. And it's like, well, like if someone's dropped out of the community, they're actually barriers to like reentry into the community. Like one of the ironic things that is that you have to have a le- legally established place to exist in order to get the legal to legal, like get the documents to even be allowed to legally work. So it's almost like, go get a job. It's like, all right, should I work illegally? Or like, what do you mean when you say go get a job? Like, cause I actually don't have those documents. Like everything's like, literally it's just all gone. Right. So like we provide people with a letter of residency and affidavit so that they can go to our, the, our BMV and get an ID. And then they can use the ID to get a birth certificate. And that takes like a month minimum. And it's like, all right, so like, how are you supposed to stay alive that long without, you know, so we, we provide three meals a day, totally free every day. Like we provide a place to sleep that's safe, you know, like, so like the, the amount of things that are necessary for that, but it's like, this is what we focus on. Like we need our, these other partners in the community. Like we need people who can like provide them with employment or like bridge employment opportunities, which is, you know, why we do the vocational stuff. Like, all right, what job skills do you have? Like, how can we kind of empower you to like start working again? Or, you know, cause like that even brings order in, into someone's life, like practicing, like doing these things. And again, like it's, it's forming someone like these, these are the things that are necessary to like sustain or to participate in, in society. But it's, we all kind of have these, these different elements that, that we're able to, to bring. And, and I think Cause it, cause it's really, it's, it's honestly, it's overwhelming, like trying to answer like, okay, how can I help? Cause the whole question, like go change, you know, <laughs> go change yourself saying that to like this person on the street corner who's alone and doesn't have like a community because like if they had relationships, they wouldn't be standing on the corner. Like it's kind of, um, almost probably not yeah. forgotten. And, um, oh, where was I going with that? But, but 
they like it's it's necessary to have to have these these other connection points because like you know just because someone doesn't get on well with me like they might get on well with their case manager somebody else who's able to have like the conversation that unlocks like oh this is the this is the real root cause of this person's brokenness or that their barrier like because because the trick with chaos right it's these things that come in that are that it seem meaningless right but if someone has life as an orientation they're able to assign meaning to this the chaotic stuff into the brokenness it can they can either see it as this all right game over like whatever i'm just gonna go get hired i'm just gonna you know i'm just gonna go drink i'm just gonna go whatever the the addictive or destructive uh behavior is that that this person is formally engaged with right it's how do we have enough supports so that the person doesn't think that well that's my only solution to dealing with this um and i you know i can't do it alone i can't help all of that and that's that's humbling but yeah so i mean getting back to this question of how do we form people or or like how do we how do we invite people into a different way of life there's and just hearing how you're describing it there's it's a it's a big transition we can maybe even say like a really violent transition from like chaos to order a lot of things get disrupted things get lost and there needs to be a lot of bracketing, a lot of support structures around that. Uh, you know, it's, you know, even, even without the homelessness piece, you know, somebody's gone from the life of uh, sobriety or, well, so I'm thinking, you know, say, you know, you're given, you know, individual who's like acting out sexually, lots of porn, lots of affairs, lots of hookups, lots of secrecy, lots of money spent. Uh, when all of that comes out, it's hugely disruptive to the family. Sometimes they lose the family. They might have to go to inpatient. They might lose their job and like a whole lot of things change the, the end result can be really great stability order a connection a lot of insight but that initial process needs a lot of support because it's hard it's hard to go against the nature that has been developed for your whole life uh like you can't just do it on cue because it didn't just develop overnight it's it's your whole life there i wonder if we could pause a little bit on on some of these traps that we fall into and trying to facilitate this forming and invitation process because it seems like sometimes it doesn't work. I know for me, um, as we're thinking about that's how do I invite someone into a different way of life? I think one trap we could fall into would be like, like the educational trap. So certainly some education, some learning should happen, but the trap would be to look at growth and change as strictly an intellectual pursuit. Or making the assumption, well, if I just equip this person with enough data or enough facts or enough skills, then they'll be fine. Which those aren't bad things. And, and sure, we need we need those out there. But when we're talking about whole life transformation, it's it's much more than just data. And I would say this goes for, for catechism too. Like, yes, we we learn about the creed, we learn about the prayers, we learn about like our core doctrines and theologies. But as we're learning all of that and hopefully retaining some of it, uh, we're also in liturgy. We're also at Vespers. We're also saying the prayers, making the sign of the cross. We're actively experiencing the life of the church. And that's the catechism as much as anything is feeling ourselves, seeing, seeing ourselves change or not actually seeing ourselves change, but like very in a very embodied way going through the change. And it's a gradual, very process, like whole body, whole community sort of thing way beyond just oh i learned some information about the trinity yeah that's what's actually actionable <laughs> what what can someone 
action out of the the infinite set of data that we're able to kind of drop on somebody is i think pretty important it's it's one thing to tell someone like all of the things of anger management but another to like be in the moment and like have developed some enough of a presence of mind to just like okay breathe (laughs) like when someone is screaming at me or like trying to kill me or doing like whatever the random stuff is like breathe all right how do i attend to like the situation to this person like all right what are my emotions that are now just going you know the the chaos again right of the emotions that i start feeling when this this interaction is going sideways i don't remember lectures in those moments (laughs) no no not at all uh, when you're talking about that, that's reminding me of the gospel story of Jesus and the demoniac, mm. uh, or I guess any of the stories of like Jesus and a demoniac where, and then I'm imagining this demon possessed person coming at him with like all of what we'd understand is like de-escalation, dysregulation, like, like the yelling, the cursing, the foaming at the mouth, mm-hmm. like the, the really abrasive, aggressive gestures, like really scary presentation. And kind of the way that I remember the stories is Jesus Having uh, having boundaries in that, like he doesn't allow this to to, to persist, continue, continue, <laughs> but he responds from within the calmness of himself and just like, nope, you have to leave. <laughs> and you know he's he's very present in those moments, not threatening, not attacking, not condemning the person, not diagnosing the person. Just like, nope, in the presence of me, who am the fullness of life, like this demon can't exist here, so he, he has to go. And it wasn't a lecture. It wasn't this three-point sermon or anything that that it was. He he, you know, he tells the the formerly demoniac, right? He's in his right mind and dressed. Like, go tell what I did, and uh, you know all that the Lord has done for you. So he had something that he could do. Yeah, this, there's this seems to be this idea now that we've got access to limitless information that like if I somehow possess all this information that makes me, I don't know, sober, I, you know, it's 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 not embodied. I know that even in my own spiritual formation, the, the one of the greatest gifts someone gave me was just a book called A Thousand Gifts and just keep track of a thousand things I'm grateful to God for. And so as I started doing that, I started noticing that like the depression that I was suffering from just like this, the cycles were shorter and shorter and shorter. And then I started like learning to look for God in all of these, in all of my circumstances, right? The scriptures say, rejoice always, pray unceasingly, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And so the more that I started doing that, and then the more is like, Oh, God was here. Oh, God was like, then it like a lot, like this expectation of seeing God or encountering God in my all circumstances started to manifest as well. And I remember, I don't know, I'd been doing it like a year, right? So it's not like a one-off. It's not like I did it like a couple of times. So now like I've got it right. This was like painful choosing to 
choosing, like recognizing, or I think one of the big breakthroughs for me, one of the big breakthroughs was that my depression generally was like this legitimate sadness taken to self-obsession. It was like, I just like this inward looking, I'm caring for myself by obsessing over this thing that I'm sad about, which it didn't work, right? Because it's always, it's all, it's here and it was hopeless. But like, then when I actually looked beyond or outside of myself and started like seeing like the goodness that's out, like actually out there and around me in these circumstances, particularly how God was present in all these, in all circumstances, like radically shifted my, just my whole worldview and the way that I live. And then, and then like a year, year and a half after I, I had done this, like, I had all these notebooks, right? Like all these notebooks pile up on this bookshelf. I remember really feeling crushed. Like, God, I don't believe you're good. Like I'm having, you know, another one of these kind of little crises. And I was like, God, I don't like, what proof do I even have that you're good? Cause like, I don't believe you're good. And I remember looking up and seeing that bookshelf full of all of these notebooks and something, something, I, I don't know how to explain it. So like something just switched. And now I'm con- like, I know that I'm just convinced I have this abiding conviction of the goodness of God. And it's like, and like in whatever circumstances, like the things can only go like so far, then they just hit like a steel wall or something. It's like, nope, because like, oh, here I can kind of just rip off like, oh, you know, I'm really grateful I encountered God in, you know, the at lunch or the, there's just kind of this embodied because there's a direction, right? Like I'm moving in the direction of, of the goodness of God and that having moved in that direction, like it's harder almost to like go the other way. So like the stuff shows up and it's distracting, but like my capacity to attend to the expectation of God or his goodness in all circumstances is just like stronger, if that makes sense. I, th- I think it does. And if I might, if I might riff on uh, where you're talking, I, I love the story that you tell about the, the thousand gifts in the, in the bookshelf. And what, what I'm imagining is, you know, in order to fill a whole shelf of journals of gifts, that's weeks, months, years, maybe of journaling. Uh, and in order for that to happen, it has to become kind of a practice maybe every day. I mean, that, that's a great, but even, even not every day, but just like kind of regularly, or you, it's the thing you could keep coming back to. Like it's, it's a habit forming thing or when it becomes a habit forming thing, that's a really good sign. And here's where I might highlight, I think another trap that we fall into when we're trying to invite people into change into a different way of life is on some level thinking it will happen all at once mm-hmm. or quickly or on some kind of a timeline, like real, like actual growth is always going to frustrate any measure, any, any rubric of like measurable outcomes, which I know that was a big thing back in the agency days. They're all like, you know, billable hours and measurable outcomes and evidence-based practices. Mm-hmm. And like, you got to check the boxes and we got to be able to like measure numbers and all of that, you know, real growth is not numbers in a way it can't be measured or or charted in a way I, you become aware of changes in yourself over time other people become aware of changes over time but but i think it's more in the scope of like months and years maybe even longer uh that you look back and be like oh wow i remember like you know five years ago i was a really like angry mean spirited like bitter person like actually I'm, I'm not that person anymore what happened when did it happen i don't know somewhere in the last five years of daily practices that set you on a different trajectory but, but, but yeah, I think that's an aspect we need to consider when we're inviting people in, into change is like, it's, it's a lifelong transformative process. And it just, it's going to take a long time, like longer than, longer than the grant money will last probably. Yeah, that's, we used to, 
more intentionally the first like couple of years I was there. I don't know. I haven't heard as many conversations around it, but when with our pl- programming tracks, that was something that we we used to intentionally pump the brakes on some people moving like phasing up. It's like this person's trying to like run their own program and make it happen on their timeline. So like we need to kind of slow some things down and try to help this person develop an awareness that like if you go and just read the AA book, it's really not gonna make you sober in that sense. You know, like you got to do work the steps and process this stuff. And it's not something that you get to go do, well, I did this step one today, step two tomorrow. So you know, it's like not a it's not a 12 day <laughs> No. And, and on top of that, so I've talked with some people who have been like clean and sober for like, you know, two or three decades. And they talk about doing the steps all the way through like every couple of years. Mm-hmm. So it's not, a, not only just like a, not a one day thing, but it's not a one time thing either. Yeah. My, uh, one of my bosses talks about, he's like every day, you know, I do an inventory and I call my sponsor and we, you know, we go through this stuff and it's like, and that's like how he like, like one of the main, again, like it's community. He's got a web of relationships, but also like how he maintains the sobriety. Cause he's, he's moving in a direction. And this is like one of those supports. Cause he recognizes like, all right, there's some stuff that doesn't fit. And I recognize like, I really don't want to be, <laughs> I don't want to be sober today. It's so like, now what? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I love hearing about your, your, your boss's story. It's making me think of some of the guys in my group who have, express some discouragement or some consternation at the thought of like, Oh gosh, am I still going to need to be in group in like 20 years? Like, and am I still going to need to like be doing these accountability things? You know, like, do I have to be sober forever? That sort of thing. Or like the question sometimes comes up is like, so when am I done with Reese's group? And I'm like, I don't know, but I'll often compare it to, to, to church. And like, I mean, especially in, in, in Orthodox Christianity where it's, it's liturgical and it's, Still the divine liturgy of St. John Chrysostom after, you know, 1500 years, still the same liturgy. At some point, I'm not learning information. And yeah, I'm going to go to liturgy every week, you know, twice if, the, if it's available. Uh, I'm going to go to confession more often than I do, at least once a month in perpetuity. Not necessarily because I've accrued like that many more sins, although sometimes, but it's because it's like, well, this is this is the sober life or this is the Christian life. And, and in doing these these rituals, I am reorienting, rearranging my inside assumptions to say, yes, I am a Christian. I am a member of the church. Just like doing the daily inventories, checking in with the sponsor 30, 40 years into it. Uh, yeah, it's like you're not learning anything more, but you are reinforcing this orientation that you are a sober person now. You're not an acting out person. And that's, that's something that doesn't stick without care. So we, we care for it every day. Like we would a child every day yeah the one of the greatest arguments it was i didn't have an argument i guess with my wife for in becoming orthodox but one of the questions that i asked her when she was you know kind of like i think the church we were going to the church she'd gone to since she was born and i asked her it's like do you see me have i treated you with more like Christ or less like Christ since I've started going to the liturgy. Like I wasn't even able to participate in the sacraments. And she's like, Oh, like undeniably more, you know, it's like, it it was just obvious, right? There, there was, there was an obvious increase in love, joy, 
peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control in my life. And she was experiencing that. She's like, wow, like there's, you know, proof is in the pudding. And it was just, you know, going to liturgy. And I, I was really at the, for like, you know, at first, like one of the, one of the things that really jumped out to me was how once we get to the, I think it's the true, 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 the him, cherub him <laughs> said it wrong. Yeah. About, you know, we who represent um, the cherubim now lay aside all earthly cares. And I came in to liturgy some days and just internally raging. And by the time I hit that, it's like, oh, wait a minute. Like, I could give this to God. Like, <laughs> and like, I, I cannot think of a single liturgy that I've gone to that by the time I hit that hymn, like, I'm distracted like have internal distractions like it's just like oh yeah or like if i like once popped up it's like oh yeah hey here you go god like awesome now we know about this like let's and uh but it's because it's and i and i look forward to it. it's like oh yeah like at least on sundays like i'm excited to go to confession it's like all right hey like i don't want this stuff like <laughs> let's give this to god or um but it it, it, it just shapes you in, in a it's yeah, it was just, it's a mysterious thing. It's like, you know, I went to this other tradition and what jumped out to me was in the, my former tradition is the sermon was the thing, right? And so you could get the, the spiritual information and that was not resulting in greater conformity in my life to, to Christ, that I wasn't doing like a great job of loving my wife or other people. But once I started going to liturgy, like that started shaping me spiritually. And then that has a physical, you know, it just, it's going to manifest itself physically too, like in, in the way that I just carry myself and, and treat others. I, I love what you said, like spiritual information does not result in greater conformity to the image of Christ. I wrote that down. I liked it so much. <laughs> Because it's true. And we could, I mean, I'll reference like, I mean, a different metaphor. It's like, I mean, I could read all of the articles I want about, you know, uh, working out and bodybuilding and trimming the ab fat and everything. But if I never actually do a setup or go running or lift a weight, like nothing's actually going to change. I don't become physically healthy by learning about physical health. I have to practice it. And I know I, I was really loving how you were talking about your experience of the liturgy and coming to the Cherubicum and, and by that time being able to, to lay aside the cares. And I think I'm to think of it. I mean, I, I, I often have like kind of a similar experience of like coming in really rushed and at some point, mostly able to like unblend from stuff. Mostly it, it's a struggle. And just thinking about how, I mean, there's a whole lot of spiritual dynamics going on. I mean, we're stepping into the kingdom of God and Christ is there. The saints are there and it's, ineffably and comprehensively more than we understand is going on on a spiritual level, but on a physical level that we can't understand, like there it's, it's this process, it's this ritual. It engages all of the senses. It's predictable. I think part of what that does is as we're in it, we condition ourselves to respond to that. And I, I step, I step up to the church and make the sign of the cross. I walk through the narthex into the nave, I venerate the icons and I'm starting to cue my body and my system for, okay, we're stepping into spiritual mode. We're, we're stepping into seek the inner stillness mode. Mm -hmm. And, and this whole environment supports that. And as I become familiar with those cues, it becomes a little bit easier every time in response to the cues. And so we need that environment. 
we need to activate those cues. And I, and I guess that, that would, that would be the thing that I'd want for uh, a sobriety context also. And I guess this is why I think like coming into like a support group is so very important is because, I mean, at least the way that I do my groups, I mean, we come into the room, we sit, we make some jokes, we do some breathing, we do some body work, we do a check-in, we have this ritual of, and now we all tell our stories to the week and then we have our cross talk and we conclude with some gratitude and there's a little bit of a ritual and sometimes there's snacks. Um, but it's, but, but again, it's, it's this conditioning over time in a really, really, uh, embodied sense. So yes, much more than just learning information, but actually engaging your body, engaging your whole system into the process. Yeah. That reminds me of one of the, the guys that I had coming out to the, to our thrift store and, uh, we ended up having to have a hard conversation with him because he was talking a big game about like all this kind of stuff. And it's like, you know, I got to give God the praise or all these different things. And one of that, one of the things that we were pointing out, is like, you can say all this stuff, but until like, you know, like, what does that look like for you to do this? And, 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 and this guy, he, he only has one arm and threw away a couch by himself. And one of the things that, like we were trying to help him address is like, just because you have a capacity for something doesn't necessarily mean that you ought to do that something. And, and so it's like, like, I recognize like, that's pretty cool that you can like throw this couch away by yourself. But it's like, I told you I was going to come and like, I would give me like two minutes. I was going to go like use the restroom or something. And I'll come and like, we we'll go throw this couch together. You know, it's like, it's, that was like a, it was like a humility thing that it's like, this is, this is what it looks like for you. Like I, we recognize, you know, like you've got this mindset that you got to work harder. You got to do all this extra kind of stuff, but like one way that you can practice like humility and sobriety for you is let other people participate in things that you are capable of doing like that. It's not like a slight against you. It's like, this is normal. This is, this is kind of what it means to be part of the community again he'd started doing that. Like there were things that like beforehand he was doing by himself and then he'd be like, Hey, like, can you help me move this? Or, Hey, can you do that thing? You know? Cause like, you know, once my arm is exhausted, like I'm hit, like I can't do anything. And it's like, and if he, you know, when he was running a hundred miles an hour, he'd go back to the shelter and pass out. And it's like, what are you going to do when you get home and you got to make your own food, you know, when you launch from here. And so like, he's been doing pretty good since he's left. And, and I think that like one of the things that it came down to was like him generating and, and practicing like, all right, this is a way that I can invite people to, cause to, to be part of my recovery. Because like, if he, if I just do everything by myself, I'm aware of myself out and then I won't eat. Like there's like, things will start unraveling if, if it, but we gave him practical, like, this is what this is for him. His weakness was an inability to, to get help. And so it's like, all right, this is what normal ways of getting help that are not like, us like looking down on you or trying to discriminate against you because of this disability. And I think about that sometimes like, Oh yeah. Like what are like those specific things that like I could be practicing? Like for me, it's gratitude. Like I have to practice gratitude every day. Or like, I'm just going to be like just trapped in despair. Like if I'm not every day practicing gratitude, like my mental health is hit. Like <laughs> I, I'm gone for the, like I'm just roasted. So uh, yeah, that, uh, the practicing breathing, you know, like these, these, what are these embodied ways of, of living that, you know, if we're attending to the, and kind of the, 
those almost lower level things that it kind of comes helps you move up the hierarchy. Mas- what is it? Maslow's hierarchy. Maslow's hierarchy. Yeah. Yeah. There's this bracketing of, uh, like, like you need a foundation, uh, a foundation to be well. And often the body is that foundation is when, when the body is well, the mind and the spirit can be well. Also I, that, there, there comes a point where that can be inversed to where the, the mind and the soul are sufficiently strong to where now the body needs to be challenged to make them stronger. Mm. But that, that's like a lot more advanced. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, only monks pay attention to that one for now. Yeah. This idea of inability to ask for or accept as being, being, being a weakness, I think is really powerful. And like what you talked about it, uh, letting, letting other people participate in what you already know how to do, um, would require a lot of humility, but could result in a lot of connection as well. The image that came into my head was when I'm in the kitchen and one of my, one of my sons wants to do it with me. And like at this point, like my nine-year-old could actually be like, well, actually, so I have a nine-year-old and a five-year-old and a two-year-old. We try to keep the two-year-old out of the kitchen. <laughs> but, but the older two, they're, they're getting to where they, you know, with, with appropriate tasks and structuring, they, they can be, they can be helpful. And, uh, and it's, it's more, it's a little bit more of a collaboration as they're getting a little bit older. So, so that's really nice. There were definitely, there's definitely this period where having them in the kitchen was decidedly unhelpful are really empowering and really connective for, for them. Uh, and so, and so now, you know, yeah, now I run into these situations where, yes, I am perfectly capable of preparing a whole meal by myself and it might actually be faster if I do it by myself. But if I invite my five-year-old to wash his hands, put on an apron, pull up the step stool and do some stuff, then sure. The meal might take a little longer to make, but we'll have had that connection. We'll have had that memory. And I got to let go of some control and some perfectionism and that that's good for me. And he gets some practice in safely using a knife and that's good for him. So, yeah. And that's the tension that's really hard for, to embody, right. Or to live in of, and I run, I run into this every day and some days I don't do a great job of like staying in attention. I just kind of like, Nope, I'm going to do this. But right. I've got all these participants who come out and don't really know how to do the tasks that are asked of them at like these different responsibilities that are given to the participants while they're at the thrift store right so sorting clothes like if you're not checking all the pockets and then we sell something with a huge hole like that's a problem and so there's this tension of like all right how how am i is it is it a need or is it a preference on on some of the stuff like we need like what 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 margin of of error is acceptable in this, right? Like in teaching a kid to, like you said, using a knife safely, like that's, and we still were able to eat food. It might not have been done as fast or like kind of a comp, it wasn't made the way that maybe I wanted it to make, but like, if I can let go of some of that control and and live in the tension, like, yeah, this just wasn't that good, but (laughs) Hey, like there's, this person was empowered. Like that's like, all right, when, when, and that's, 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 that's the moment by moment stuff. That's hard to figure out. Like, all right, do I, I, you know, I had an autistic kid come out one time. We're, so, we're, we're like sorting through these jeans and like checking the pockets for holes and the stuff. And he was paid attention for like five minutes. And then he was like doing this other stuff. And I was like, all right, what is it? How I'm not going to make this kid get back on the table and sort these jeans. So like, what can I do? Like, what can we give him to do? So I was like, Oh, what if, 
I give him the ones that have already been sorted because he was overwhelmed, right? He's like, there's too many things that like, there's too many places where it could have problems. You know, it's like, you could see he's just getting overwhelmed. And so I was like, all right, what if I give him the genes and tell him, all right, Hey, this one's good. This one's bad. Or this one needs to go into like, we're going to keep it and, and hand it out downtown. And so like, how do I, there's no like, this is it for the, for every single person. And, and it just kind of like changes like, and the, over, even though the 30 minutes to 40 minutes, like how am I, like how I maintain, how am I empowering him? How am I maintaining this conversation? What, what's cause the, some of the pansy shortages, I'm going to hear about it. Like, I know we're going to get a return from these pants that had a hole in them that didn't yeah. get caught. And it's like, yep. <laughs> yeah. Again, thinking, thinking about these chops we can fall into, as we're inviting people to change, uh, there's definitely this chop of thinking that it's going to be a solitary process or it can be a solitary process or I'll change this one, just me by my lonesome, or I can send you a way to go do your change on your own without attending and attuning and connecting you to people. And like your part, you're talking about too, uh, if, if I think there's one way to change or if I can just like set a change process and, and walk away from it or that I can invite two people into the same change process. Like that's, that's not, not going to work either because like you're saying, everybody has different needs, different capabilities, different destinies. So we, we really have to be connected. We really have to be flexible. We really need to be embodied. We really need to be, uh, you know, doing whatever we do daily over a long period of time. And all of that together is needed to, any sort of lasting change, whether it's I'm going to my faith, I'm going to my sobriety, I'm maintaining my housing, I'm building muscle or losing weight or whatever. Those, those, those are the components. I think those are the ingredients. Yeah. It, I mean, as a, as a Christian, I think it, it comes back to love, which isn't static. It's in motion. And the motion is hard because it, it flows differently, you know, daily. And that can kind of be overwhelming because, uh, you know, I have days that I can't see it. Some days when I don't want to see it. Some days when I'd rather avoid it. And I don't always, not always faithful to expressing the love of God and Christ to all of my neighbors. And uh, I got really crushed by my lapses in love, which I mean, I got wrote up over it. Like I threw away, <laughs> I, uh, so one of the fascinating things in working with the homeless is, you know, they've got most of their possessions in a bag, right? And that can be pretty crushing. It's like, wow, this person lives in material poverty. And then they just leave this stuff everywhere, right? There's kind of like this, it, it, it's, uh, it offends our sense of self-responsibility. Like, what do you mean? Like, that's all you've got. And, you know, like, the, how can this, how can your world, like your world be disposable? But it's a problem for us because if we just let anybody leave all of their bags in our cafeteria, then it stinks. And there's, you know, cockroaches and like you can't leave. Like we've got we serve 
meals to like, we have 200 some people staying, men staying in our shelter and we serve the general community. So we do like 1600 meals a month, I think. And so if we let two, 300 people leave all their stuff in our cafeteria, nobody would fit in the cafeteria. So like there was this guy every day just left his stuff there. And I told him and told him, so I was like, listen, man, like we're going to throw your stuff away. Like, you know, kind of went through this whole thing, but I didn't like document it. So like it, so the day that I finally was like, all right, I've had enough. I'm putting my foot down. Like, this is it. Right. I went and pitched all his stuff. And at one point he like, like, it seemed like he was leaving. And so I was like, okay, like I checked and it's like, all right, I think he's gone. I'm just throwing his stuff away. Like, this is it not condoning my actions. Turned out he had a, like a $15,000 check in one of those bags. And like, I remember I opened up like two of them. One of them was just stacked with Bibles or something. And the other one was just closed. I was like, nope, threw them all in the dumpster. And then he like went and, you know, reported me to my supervisor. And it turned out, sure enough, he had this inheritance check from like the 90s in one of those bags and just had never cashed it because it was from like a couple cities over. And he had like walked here however many years ago. And I was hit, right? Like that was a break that, like on me. And um, so in processing that, in um, trying to come to terms with, all right, how did I get to this point where, you know, I was doing harm, like kind of objectively did harm to this, to this guy, even though maybe in the moment I thought I was doing what was right. I, uh, was meditating on this question, like, all right, this was a lapse in love, right? So I ended up, one of the things I did was I rewrote, I kind of like was meditating on 1 Corinthians 13 and rewrote it from um, the perspective of like a a frontline worker or like, you know, a a care worker. And so I, uh, if you're open to it, I'll read it. I I really found uh, it reframed just my whole perspective on like love within kind of social work or specifically like at the homeless shelter looked like. I'd love to hear that. And I think that'd be, I think that might be a good like right, wrap point for us to, to come back to like, what does it mean to, to be loving, to be present? Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd love to hear that. Okay. If I speak the language of the homeless and of clinicians, but do not have love, I am only the sound of chaos. If I share Jesus with power and understand all the drama, addiction, and illness, and if I have a heart as big as the sea, but do not have love, I am not justified. If I give 490 pair of socks and underwear out, swat rocks from the air, or prevent a suicide, if I don't have love, I've gotten nowhere. Love is patient. Love is compassionate. It is not offended. It is not defensive. It is not punitive. It is not enabling. It is not disrespectful. It does not demand reciprocity. Love does not relate in terms of wrongs, does not delight in any form of relapse or ineligible flags but rejoices with progress, always empathizes, identifies needs, always hopes, always pursues relationship. Love never gives up. But the clinical diagnoses will change. The codes of the streets will dissipate. The drama will pass away. 
For I diagnose incompletely, and I hustle incompletely. But when the complete manifests, the incomplete disappears. When I was a private citizen, I talked, I thought, I reasoned like a private citizen. When I became staff, I submitted to the employee handbook. For the time being, we see only the tip of the iceberg. Then I will see everything. For the time being, I only know just a snatch of the story. Then I will know the whole narrative, even as my story is fully known. Until then, faithfulness, hope, and love sustain life. But the greatest of these three is love. I have appreciated this uh, this ramble and exploration, and I and I hope some of the ideas might be useful to the listener, at least as starting points of more conversation and maybe a closer examination of how we support people, how we invite people into change, how we how we ourselves pursue our own growth and healing and change as much more than just this intellectual process or the singular change point, but this whole life process, this transformative way of being that encompasses our whole lives. And if it encompasses our life, it can begin to encompass the worlds around us. Um, you know, I come back to the, this quote from St. Sarah from Absarov, you know, acquire the inner stillness, acquire your own inner, your own inner peace and a thousand around you will be saved. On that note, um, we'll, we'll close for here, but um, ben, if a listener wanted to reach out to you, um, other than the Lord, Lord of Spirits Facebook page, <laughs> uh, how can someone find you in the world or on the internet? Oh, man. Uh, I suppose I should just give out my email address because I don't have social because I, in college, just wasted hours and hours. And I was like, this is not, like, I'm not doing anything with my life. So, yeah, I guess I guess if someone wanted to email me, that I'd be totally down for a conversation. I, I think that's how... Um, we originally connected as well. My email address is B-E-N-D-K-L-I-M as in Mary, E-K at gmail.com. So it's Ben D. Klimek at gmail.com. Yeah, if uh, if I see an email in there, I'd, I'd totally be down to respond. And because, uh, uh, yeah, I'm trying to learn how to even share what I'm learning or, you know, some of the stuff that I've encountered. Uh, working at working at the shelter and uh, don't have any platform. <laughs> this is my first step, I guess. Cool. I'm glad to offer that, and I hope it's worthwhile. But yeah, thank you for your time and your story and your presence here with us. It's been really great. Uh, thank you, listener, for following along. Uh, if this is helpful to you, please like and review and share the show around. Uh, you can visit us at uh, Patreon.com/slash Outer Circle support us financially that's helpful as well uh but yes definitely you know the rate and the review share us around you know all the standard podcasting things is helpful thank you thank you all for being here and may you have peaceful days that veer toward greater and greater order and connection and balance and all that you do yeah thanks for having me on reason i i always joke with my wife there's there's always an opportunity to quote rich mullins so i'll say uh my little bit of it's be present, but Rich always said, be gods. And if you're being gods, like it's, it's kind of hard to 
get off the track. So thank, thanks for having me on again. This is, this is great. I love talking to you and uh, yeah, please support the podcast. I listen to it and uh, it's been, it's been helpful for me in reframing and trying to think about how, how am I approaching this and outside of even kind of the waters of North, uh, Northeast Indiana. So (laughs) part of the, the, this, this bigger community. So thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, hope you all have a wonderful day. Thanks so much. Thank you for joining me in today's conversation. My name is Reese Basimio. I'm an Eastern Orthodox Christian and a clinical counselor with specialties in substance use, compulsive behaviors, sexuality, and trauma. You can reach me through newpatterncounseling.com. This episode was mastered by Breakfast Puppies. Theme music is by Titus Lockard. Please like, rate, review, and share this podcast from all your favorite platforms. Please also consider showing your support of this work through contributing dollars through the podcast page at patreon.com slash outer circle. Thank you and see you next time.